welcome to E20, your unofficial EastEnders podcast. Now today is a bit different, it's a special episode and this is dedicated to the Chantelle and Grace storyline. I'm Emma. And I'm Connor. And today we are going to be discussing the storyline involving Chantelle and Grace and also including interviews that i done for my dissertation which will hopefully help people who are currently in this situation or give advice to those who might know someone in this situation. So now we're going to take a look back at the Chantelle storyline, starting with when we came back after lockdown. So we returned after lockdown with Chantelle in a graver situation than we've ever seen her in before. No longer was Grey simply sated with beating her and, you know, humiliating her and scaring her. Now he had perfected almost his cruelty and had begun forcing Chantel to take part in these hideous, hideous, like, rituals where she would have to hold herself under the water and, and see how long she can stay under whilst he times her, which... From, from us coming back to this was harrowing to see. And it just further cemented everything that we've already seen in his character since the beginning, where on the outside, everything seems nice. Everything seems shiny. Everything seems perfect. They've got a lovely home, two children, plenty of money. Both were working when they first came to the square. And, and everything seems perfect. But inside, Grey is exerting control in almost every aspect of Chantel's life it's like on the outside they have this where the perfect family image he's this nice guy who's always helping people because he's a lawyer they can always turn to him Grey would never hurt them Grey would be that person they could rely on which is actually the complete opposite to what he is but he portrays this whole different image outside and I think uh, especially coming back off lockdown we read the figures and like the domestic abuse figures just got worse and worse. Um, the highest they've ever been. And mm-hmm. and to see what's happened to Chantel during this time, this is two people who have been locked in a house for three months. He's already shown what he can be like on a day-to-day basis. You knew it was going to probably be quite harrowing to come back to. And I'm, I'm glad mm-hmm. EastEnders covered it because I think it was true to real life. People are going through this right now. Exactly. Like one in three women are going to suffer domestic abuse at some point in their life. Like, and it's important. It is so important that that storyline got out there and showed people what it's like from the beginning. And also, as you say, what it's like, like through lockdown, what's happened during lockdown. Because for someone like Grey, who is so hell-bent on control and, and and thrives on exerting power over others, to be told he has to do things, he has to stay in the house. He can't go to work. He can't do anything. He's got to stay in the house. Like, that already is going to be starting to make him start to try and grasp back some control in his life. And then, on top of that, you've got the added problems in their relationship that, that came about after she, unfortunately, lost their child before lockdown, which we we all know saw another escalation of Gray's abuse uh, towards Chantel, which, you know, he basically began a 
a systematic attempt to just force her to have a baby. And, and you know, when she couldn't, he would beat her. Again, his, it, it just shows that all he wants to do is control absolutely every aspect of her life. And imagine that in lockdown. She can't get away from him at all. She can't even go to work to get away from him. We were introduced to Chantel in um, 2019 when she came to the square for a job. Like, she basically joined the hairdressing salon. It was great. She was following her career. It was a passion. And Grey took that away from her because it meant she had an avenue, an outlet that wasn't in his, like, control. It wasn't about him. And it is just so harrowing to have seen this vibrant young woman just be brought down and, like, trampled emotionally by him and then just further and further and further abused, with each time it getting worse. We found out he was tracking her. He knew her every movement. And then she started working for Karat. He saw Karat as a threat. Mm-hmm. And then that's when, which we'll go on to later, actually, and that's when she had to stop her job there. I've actually spoke to two people who could talk about this. And one will be Hufti, who you will hear first, talking about her West End Women and Girls Centre and phone hacking and tracking. And then we're going to hear from a criminal psychologist as to what goes on and why they track their partners. We have older women who have been given phones by their partners and they don't realise that actually on an iPhone, when it's been set up, it's got a tracking device on it. And they can't understand how their partners or ex-partners know exactly where they are. And then we go, show us your phone. And they're not aware of that technology. So we check everybody's phones and make sure that there's none of that kind of find my iPhone and stalking through social media goes on. If somebody really struggles to cope with the thought of their partner leaving them, that's then a big risk factor. Some people, it's about being unable to communicate how they're thinking and feeling and the way they express that is through aggression. And you can have other people who struggle to manage their jealousy and anger or depression and, again, that then comes out through controlling behaviours or aggression. And Different behaviours can be about trying to keep a partner in a relationship, trying to put messages across about what they want that partner to change and do and not do can be to almost threaten off other people that might be in the way of that relationship. So if they try and control their partner, the partner stops doing something, then that's worked, so it reinforces that behaviour for them and they keep on doing it. And so they're learning for themselves as well as from other people that that behaviour works and that's why they want to they want to keep on doing it. So when we returned, as we've already said, we came to a situation where the abuse had escalated, it had gotten worse, and... Though we have seen Chantel attempt to get help in the past or other people attempt to help her, such as her father, Mitch, um, or the nurse who noticed her bruising at one point and suggested she give this number a call and gave her um, a disguised uh, domestic abuse hotline call, essentially. Like, she unfortunately didn't take up either of those chances to get out of this situation. And quite frankly, I don't think anyone could ever blame a person for not, not taking up those those chances because she was in love with this man, regardless of 
the abuse, she really did love him at one point, and she did hope that he would just get back. She believed all of his apologies, and and also the fear, and not just fear about what Grey will do, the fear of who she will be without Grey. You know, he's already controlled her money. He's already controlled her life and forced her out of her jobs. So with all of that, you can't exactly blame Chantel for not taking those moments to get help. She wasn't in a position or a, the right mindset to access those things. But she is now. When she comes back from lockdown, the escalation of the abuse has led to Chantel realising this is not healthy. This is not right. And ultimately, she doesn't even love Grey anymore. Whatever she felt for him is gone, isn't it, Emma? She, she wants to go away on holiday with her family, take the kids and use this opportunity to get out. And you're really rooting for Chantelle here. She's made that incredibly brave decision. That It's not easy. And you know that she's leaving her life behind. She's leaving everything behind. And she's finally got that strength to leave him. He can no longer be in control. And this is where she turns to Karat for some help. And she also turns to a women's centre where hopefully she can go and get a place to stay. And this is where I think it's only right we introduce another a professional again. And mm-hmm. it's Hufty from Western Women and Girls Centre again. And she's talking about the Safe for Life project, which is a safe way to go to a centre and get help. So we ran the Safe for Life course with the older girls and the older girls loved the course and recognised lots of issues pertinent to their own relationships during the course. But at the end of the course, they said, that was great, Hufty, but it's a little old-fashioned. It's got now about social media in it. Why aren't you talking about this? Why aren't you talking about that? And they basically said to us, let us rewrite the course. So they rewrote the course specifically for their own age range. Obviously, I'm fundraising all the time. That's my job to bring funding in to support the service. And we fund it through the reserves of the organisation because it's too important to shut. It's like our core business. Why would you have a women's centre that doesn't have domestic abuse services within it? And because we're a community centre, women can access the domestic abuse services and they can tell their partner, I'm coming for a cookery group. I'm coming to learn how to use the computer. I'm coming for a coffee morning. So we can have women come into the centre while they're still in that relationship and support them in order to get out of that relationship. And we can do it in a safe way. We'll update the police all the time. We work as well with the courts. We support women around child contact once that relationship's finished to get a divorce. We work with solicitors in Newcastle. There's some really great solicitors firms who are experts in family law and domestic abuse. And we know that there are certain points in a woman's relationship when they're most at risk. And one of those risk points is when they leave and when they have finished that relationship. So we ensure that there are physical things like door locks, panic alarms, police markers on their phone, safe places, moving to a refuge, getting somebody a housing priority, moving them out of the area. All of those things need to be put in place, but also that woman needs to be strong and safe in her mind so that she knows that she's protected. So, as Emma said previously, Chantelle's plan is in motion. She has the money, she has, um, you know, the opportunity now 
to get away, to go on holiday with her family and use that time to escape the clutches of that horrible, horrible man. But unfortunately, Grey is not going to allow that to happen. He first takes the one thing that Chantal cares most about now, and that is her children. He basically convinces the kids to stay with him while Chantal goes on holiday with her her parents and, and their children. That is next level control and abuse. It's so cruel that he's using her children now as a tool to prevent any level of escape. She can't even get away because now she'll have to come back for those kids. They'll always have that connection. He has them. She will have to return to him. And then when she's away, Mitch, her father, starts to notice something, doesn't he, Emma? He starts to notice she's really down. And he's like, well, I tell you what, I'll go get the kids. And if Grey won't let them come, I'll make sure they come. And you think, yes, like finally, mm. it's going to happen. She's going to escape this person. But this isn't this isn't make-believe, really. This storyline is designed to be a realistic interpretation of events. And sadly, despite Mitch going over to find the kids and bring them back, Grey comes along too. It's shown him to be the hero again, the good guy. It's this image he's portraying because here he is, he's come with the kids, he's got the time off work, he can now also spend time with the family. And if it wasn't for him, the kids wouldn't be here. Because you, you know when later on that Karen is just like, Grey isn't like this, Grey wouldn't do anything like this, Grey is a good guy, I feel for Grey. Because he's portrayed this image mm-hmm. that he's this guy who was helpful, this guy who was family-orientated, yeah. He loved his wife so much that he would take the time off work. And this is nothing like what he is actually like. Yeah. And I think it's important, again, to talk about that outward image. Because I think when people on the outside of domestic abuse talk like don't know a lot about it, they generally think that the person who's perpetrating it looks like a villain, looks like awful, looks criminal. You know, we're all guilty of that level of like thinking at some point in our life. We all presume that the devil comes you know dressed with like horns and hoofs but he doesn't the de- like that is not what this man is like this man looks handsome attractive he's wealthy he's got a good job stable home perfect kids like you know this is his outward image that he projects and again that's why karen the mother of chantelle completely buys it she loves it and she, again she she thinks of him as a son if you think about it with the family, he's there, he's giving Keegan laptops. He's mm-hmm. giving Karen a place to stay. Saying anything from the fridge, for example, watch the TV, exactly. come stay over and I'll look after you. He does all that because mm-hmm. that's him being like, look at how lovely I am. I'm good exactly. to you. I'm good to your family. And then that's when he takes out on her. I'm good to your family and you're mm. like this with me. I put up yeah. with your family and you're like this with me. Yeah. When actually exactly. that's all just his front. He never was good to the family. He's doing that for the power to have over exactly. her. And he gets a kick. He gets a kick out of them believing that shtick. You know, of him being 
the one who they can rely on. That's a very powerful like feeling to to know that everyone worships you, thinks you're amazing, thinks you're fabulous. Like the he obviously will get a kick out of that. We now hear from someone cares who work with domestic violence victims and they discuss this in more detail. Sometimes they manipulate the friends and family also. Yeah. And make you think like I'm this lovely guy yeah. or woman. Mm-hmm. I'm this lovely person and I think the isolation is one thing. It would be one indicator. Yeah. It, that's what they tend to do is they'll move them from the area or it'll be a case of, Well, I can't come round to see you because I have to do this for mm-hmm. such and such. If they will, excuses the, work. Yeah, yeah. They will make bloggers like say, Oh, I was going to my mum's house at, on a Sunday. They'll make it they'll, they'll do something so that, that doesn't happen. So I would say when it's the isolation, but the, like Katie said, there's others that they could be the most fantastic person in the whole universe to the family, but they could be beating somebody to near death. The thing about abusers are they're extremely manipulative in the it starts out with the family, they groom the family first usually before they groom the victim because otherwise they wouldn't get to a victim. It's more with sexual abuse but it's it's still relevant for domestic abuse where they they really do groom the family first to, to get the, get in there, then the ice. I've lost a of times people say, oh well they said she was the lovely woman or he's like the nicest man ever. I don't believe he would do that. Yeah, either. and they all think he's this mm-hmm. or... Yeah. Oh, he's, he's, he's such a lovely bloke. He always buys us a drink when we're saying stuff. I because if they do complain to their family, the, the family will be everybody's dead nice. He's... Mm-hmm. It's you. It must be you. So then it's um, what he's saying all over again. It's yeah. you. And so it, the family like, well, it must be you because he's lovely to us. And one thing you do hear often is, but he's such a good dad. The only person who has never really bought into that is Mitch. And that's why we were all rooting for like him to to finally see through him this these last like few weeks to finally see him and to stop what's happening with Chantel. You're just hoping that Mitch is finally going to save her from it because he tried previously. He thought she was in a bad relationship with Gray and he didn't like him, and that didn't work out. She she basically convinced Mitch not to to get involved, and it's it's really sad to see that. But that's reality. Chantel's having a lovely time for her family. And they're broken into. However, Gray knows what's happening because he heard Chantel talk to Karat to say to get the box. Then once the box was collected, then that way she could leave with her children. Mm-hmm. So he drags her home. She doesn't want to go. She does she doesn't want to go at all. Mitch can tell she doesn't want to go and and very rightly steps up and says, she doesn't want to go, she doesn't have to go. But she's in that position where she thinks if she doesn't go, what could happen? Mm-hmm. And that's scary because she doesn't know what's going to happen if she goes or if she doesn't go. I think that's one of the issues with domestic abusers, isn't it? Like, in a way, whilst it's they follow a certain pattern of behaviour, it's terrifying when you're the victim because they are almost unpredictable in what they'll do next. So she's terrified. She's sat with her father, her family, enjoying her her time. She knows that Karat is the one who's broken into the house to retrieve a a memento box of all her her children's things. And the only thing she doesn't know is what will happen 
if she doesn't go when Grey tells her to go. Like, of course, she presumes he'll do something violent or nasty, but he could do anything in her mind. She doesn't know exactly what he'll do. And that must be a really terrifying, a really scary feeling of, like, hopelessness, of not not being able to leave a situation because you just don't know what that person's going to do. So they get home and a argument erupts and this is all while the kids are upstairs as well. So the kids are mm-hmm. hearing this and they're seeing this. And I, when I done the interview with the criminal psychologist, she actually mentioned all about the seeing, hearing and witnessing behaviours. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important we should probably put that in as well. For a lot of the people that I've worked with, the way their parents have handled arguments and conflict within the relationships and what they've seen and been a victim of and witnessed is a massive factor. Obviously, for some people, they can witness those things and manage to deal with that and go on to live quite happy, normal, healthy lives and not repeat those behaviours. But I suppose for the ones I work with, they haven't been able to deal with those things and they've gone on and repeated. It's almost a bit of a cycle, really. They don't always realise that they're in that cycle, so they might know what they see is wrong and they know that they don't ever want to be the same. And then without them even realising, they end up in the same situation, repeating those behaviours and, and ending up being the person that they never wanted to be really and that's what I think is such a big cycle because we hear then them talking about what they've seen and heard and witnessed and they then go on to repeat the same but we know that they have children who have probably seen and heard and witnessed what they've been doing I suppose if that cycle's not broken somewhere it just keeps on repeating itself and you can have then generation after generation doing the same thing really and I think society's a big part of it as well still I think a lot of the communities that some of the men that we work with come from is reinforced within the people that they're around within the community. So the next door neighbours are doing the same or, you know, people down the street, the people they mix with and everything. So it's a big factor as well. And they'll make go to their mates and the mates have said, oh, yeah, well, you should be doing that. Yeah, that's right. And then they'll speak to somebody else in the pub who's doing exactly the same thing. And you can have a lot of things going on within the communities that are feeding into it and reinforcing it really so mac and me have they've witnessed it they've they've seen it they've heard it and we don't know how much over the time they've seen it not just tonight Mm. like think about he was screaming so much that one of them came down to ask what was happening exactly i think i think these like these situations the perpetrator either doesn't care about the the children or doesn't actually think that they're aware of it. They presume they're not aware of it, which I just think they, they, Mac and Mia have to be aware. They have to be aware. The abuse occurs almost daily during lockdown. It gets much, much more frequent after lockdown, and there's no way they wouldn't have known what's going on. And that's what's really sad, the, the realistic damaging like aspect of domestic abuse on children who witness it, that's it, it, that's going to have a devastating effect on them and their, the, for the rest of their lives. Like, it must be playing in their minds when they're growing up as well. Like, you're hearing this all the time, but when you're seeing them together, they're really happy. Mm-hmm. And what kind of effect is it going to have on them when they find out that that it was Grey when, when Chantel's died? It was Grey to blame? Yeah. He's not just robbed them of their mother, he's robbed them of, the, of himself as well. 
he's he's basically destroyed their their family home in his pursuit of control and dominance over his wife and it's it's just so sad it's a really tragic story and the pinnacle of the tragedy comes that night Disnama Chantal is running around the house they're arguing they're screaming at each other and then eventually she finally snaps and she says she doesn't love him anymore that's it and that's the line crossed there's no going back over that line now she said the words she will not go back to being the Chantal who is beaten oppressed abused she is finished with it. She doesn't love him anymore and she was glad that she lost his baby because she wouldn't want another baby with a man so hateful and abusive. And this is why he's lost all of his control. This is it. He knows now there's no no control in Chantelle anymore. She's not his. And he snaps. And he snaps and I wish I could say that this is just a piece of fiction, that it's just dramatisation. But ultimately, every single year, women suffer abuse. Two women a week are killed in a situation revolving around domestic abuse in England and Wales. So for Chantelle to go out this way, it's real life and it's traumatic and it's heart-wrenching and it's tragic. And grey in this situation is just so... I struggle to use the word evil because it's it's a word that, you know, it makes him sound almost like some sort of villain, you know, a fantasy villain. He's not. But he is absolute, pure evil. Evil incarnate. He leaves Chantelle after throwing her onto a dishwasher full of knives and sharp objects. He goes to create an alibi for himself, goes to shop and gets some milk. He places the toy. So when the police come in, they'll think she's slipped on it. That just shows how, how little this man actually truthfully, truthfully cares for Chantel. There's no way, if you love someone, there's no way you could leave them in harm's way or injured there's just no way especially when she's lying there asking for help and he just he just leaves leaves her there to suffer and then when she finally breathes her last breath he creates the facade of a caring husband he cries he wails into the night the worst bit for me was when she was asking for help and he picked up the phone pretending he was going to ring for help and he never even rang. Exactly. And one last exertion of power over her, isn't it? It's an assertion of power. That's what that is. It's just one last one last triumph for him, almost, in this situation. Because he's like, well, I might not be able to control her love and her emotions anymore. I might not be able to control her physically and her movements. But I'm going to be able to control whether this woman lives or dies now. He had control over t- over her till the very end. He controlled to the point he was the last man to ever be with her. She never got to be with Karat. He went out of his way to create his own alibi right till the end to look like the grieving husband that everyone will believe. I think I would like to kind of, before we bring this to a close, just talk about the the fact that Grey 
goes on to support another woman in a, a, a not a domestic abuse situation, but very close and very similar in a lot of ways in terms of the control, the desire to possess this this female victim. All those aspects within her within Whitney's case, mm-hmm. where she was basically stalked by someone. And ultimately, almost lost her life to this uh, this this individual. Gray defends Whitney, sees her as the victim, mm-hmm. um, stands in a court of law, and totally, totally, you know, rails and shouts and and you know, truly, truly defends Whitney and vilifies, rightfully so, her stalker. But he at no point goes back and looks at himself and goes, oh, I'm, you know, guilty. And even when it looked like he did, he still did nothing about that. He still was, exactly. He still managed to carry on with his day like it was just a normal day. Yeah. And only recently we've seen him, clearly he hasn't changed, you know, at all since Chantel's death because we saw him again almost kill his own children mm-hmm. in an act to control the situation that was spiraling out of his hands i think I it mean, was very important how they've done gray looking after whitney's case considering what he's doing to Chantel, because they are very closely linked like if you're in mm-hmm. a coercive relationship and leave that then there is the chance that that person is not going to leave you afterwards and it could turn mm-hmm. into stalking like it did with whitney yeah. Um, and that's what I've done my documentary on. And uh, we're going to hear now from Rachel Horman, who will talk about Paladin. So if you're in this situation, you can find out a bit more about who will be answering your calls. Most of the people on the phones are trained, what we call Isaacs, Independent Stalking Advocacy Caseworkers. So it, it is um, an accredited qualification. And I think that's one of the things that makes Paladin different, that they aren't just volunteers, they are trained professionals. Because I think, again, a lot of people give bad advice to stalking victims like change your phone number and that can actually just escalate the situation and and put you more at risk. Well, if you change your phone number and somebody is obsessed and fixated with you, what are they going to do if they can't get hold of you on the phone? They're going to have to find another way because they're obsessed and then that might be that they start turning up physically which puts you at greater risk. And the other thing is you're losing the evidence as well because if you've got somebody continually calling or leaving messages or texts, well, that's an evidence trail for a prosecution. I mean, most of the clients we see are being stalked um, after the end of a relationship. If you've got somebody who's been coercively controlling during a relationship, it's very rare that you end that relationship and they just go, okay, that's fine. Because the nature of the coercive control is that they won't accept that and that they'll want to continue trying to exert control on you and they will stalk you. And coercive control is, in a way, stalking within a relationship. Um, It's just a legal definition. Coercive control happens during a relationship and after separation it becomes stalking. And I think this is where we reach the end of our storyline at this point. Unfortunately, there are no developments towards Gray's reveal or Chantel's justice. There's there's no more for us to talk about, really. Um, all I would say 
in closing is that domestic abuse is not something that affects only one type of person. It doesn't know gender. It doesn't know class or or creed. It affects everyone. And women in particular will, over 1.6 million women, for instance, aged between 16 to 74 years of age, all experienced domestic abuse in 2019. That is a scary idea. Mm. The idea that one in three women across the whole of England and Wales, they will experience abuse regardless of their class, their creed, their age, anything like that. They will experience that. That is a scary thought. And it's important that Chantelle's storyline sheds light on the, the warning signs and and gives people a chance to, to maybe look in their own relationship and go, actually, this isn't healthy. Maybe I need to reach out to someone, whether that be family or, as Emma has, has introduced, Paladin or some professional outlet. And as Connor was saying, there's so many places that you can go to and we, we want to be able to showcase some of these places, highlight that they are out there and that if you've maybe noticed something in your family or your friends and you just feel like you need some advice, I'm going to end this episode now hearing from some of the people that we've heard throughout this podcast and they'll leave you with some some advice and some help. And if you would like to listen to the full podcast by me, it is called It's Not Your Fault and I will be posting it alongside this episode so it'll be like underneath it on Twitter if you want to go and check the whole thing out. There's lots of links and stuff to many of the organisations and the people out there so you can get the help you need or you can help someone that you know. We never hear people say, look out for your son and if you think he is acting inappropriately or obsessively, then do something about it. And unfortunately, that's not ever anything we hear it's always the other way around and again responsibility on the victim but again it's looking for obsessive behavior really isn't it and unhealthy behavior and sometimes somebody who says you know don't you get the bus don't worry I'll, I'll pick you up after work and it might seem nice but then actually is it that they don't want you to be on your own and they don't trust you so again, of itself, as a one-off incident, you can't say that's it. But then if you join it up with everything else and the fact that he doesn't really like you going out or he won't say he doesn't like you going out, but basically there's always a huge argument before you do go out and you end up not going out. What's unfortunate is young women just go, well, that's normal. It happens all the time. So boys saying you can't go out because you hang around with a group of lads as well as lasses and I'm not having you mixed with other lads not being allowed to go out in certain clothes. So boys saying, your skirt's too short, your top's too low, go upstairs and get changed. Boys looking at your Facebook, your Snapchat and your Instagram and deleting other boys. So you're not allowed to have friends who are boys, isolating you from your family and friends. Do you trust yourself if you feel as though someone's trying to change your beliefs, question it and say to yourself why? Yeah. Be okay to say no. If you're saying no, and the person is getting angry about it or making you feel uncomfortable about it, then you need to question yourself, what's all this about? I'm saying no to this, doesn't mean to say I don't love you, but it's hard to spot. But probably if you have a strong opinion about something that person's not willing to accept and belittles you because of that opinion, then that's something that's, that's a bit of a, mm, what's going on there?